This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi everyone, Glenn here, founder of the Horse Radio Network, and you're listening to episode 649 of the Dressage Radio Show. Reese and Philip are off enjoying their holiday break, but before they did, I asked them what their favorite interviews were from the past year. And after not wanting to commit, I finally got them to give it up. So I'm going to be bringing those interviews to you today. And Reese and Philip will be back next week. Reese chose the interview that they did in April with a name that you will all recognize. And Philip chose the interview with the silver medal Olympic team that they did. And we'll get right to those interviews after a word from Kentucky Performance Products. She swallowed hard as they walked into the start box. She could feel his muscles tense under her leg. Five, four, three, two, one. Have a great ride. She didn't have to ask. He galloped out of the box and across the field toward their first training level course. His ears pricked. Her heart pounded. He attacked each obstacle with confidence, clearing them with room to spare. A huge smile broke out on her face as she crossed through the finish flags. She leaned forward and buried her face in his neck. Their bond of love and trust blocked out all else. This love story is brought to you by Elevate. Research proven to have superior bioavailability. Elevate supplies the essential vitamin E often missing from the equine diet. Its all-natural formula supports healthy muscle and nerve functions. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, tonight we are really honored to have Sabine Shout Carey. She is a candidate for the Tokyo Olympics riding Sanseo. I got to meet her in Florida and I just had to have her on the podcast. Sabine, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting for me. Thank you. We are thrilled and, you know, we, we, we chatted a little bit in Florida and I just, you're just such a kind person and I love your story and I love your horse. And so I wanted to just have you on the show to tell us a little bit about your history and yourself and, and your horse. So I'll let you start with your history. Tell us a little bit about who is Sabine. Okay. Well, (laughs) um, (laughs) I was born and raised in Germany and looking back, I mean, that's, that's really great that I got my education with the horses there and just how the country, the geography is being a smaller country really gave me the opportunity to experience a lot as a younger kid and teenager to learn a lot around the horses because I could just ride my bike to the barn. And, you know, it was more like a, being together with other kids and growing really up around horses and become horsewomen. So I did my riding obviously in Germany and I started, I was lucky that when I was about 16 and growing too tall for the ponies, I was lucky to ride some Frisians and Andalusians and learned early on kind of a little bit different stuff like riding in side saddle or I um, learned how to drive a four in hand and to learn how to ride one horse and long line it in the front of me from the saddle second horse so just things like that and really really well-rounded education you were you were getting yeah exactly and you know at the time you think that's normal but as i grow old i look back and really i understand even more though how special that was and how much it you know taught me to be intuitive with animals and i think it really reflects i want to say in my performance too because like doing so many exhibitions also where you don't have to ride from letter to letter and from movement to movement as you have to do in a competition, you start listening a lot to your horse. When is a good moment to present this or that in your horse? And it's a little bit more of a feel riding because it's not quite as restricted. Then on the other hand, I'm very grateful that I 
I dipped so deeply into the competition writing because I'm fascinated but by this high degree of throughness that a horse has to have that you do have to do Saturday afternoon at 3.36, <laughs> write a test from letter to letter, and there is no room it has to happen. So I think looking back is both such amazing experiences, and I love mixing what I learned from both, mixing that together and make it Sabine, make it me. And so that was the first thing that came to my mind when you asked, you know, who am I? Um, <laughs> I think that's really, uh, looking back, I'm very, very grateful for that. And then just to not make it too long, you tell me if I'm going too far out. But No, we love it. We want, we love hearing your story. Okay. It's phenomenal. <laughs> okay. Then in 1998, I sold my first horse, which was a Frisian stallion that I had trained I sold him to a gentleman at in the U.S. in Texas, um, and I sold him from a video as a breeding stallion, mm -hmm. but then I wanted to see where he goes, and so I flew over, and um, it, the gentleman's name is Jim Mosbrook, and he offered me a job on the spot, and um, yeah, I just had my, met my husband, and he came with me. So in 1998, we moved to the U.S. I was lucky enough that Jim also got me my citizenship really quickly. We traveled through the whole U.S., which was amazing. My first exhibition, because I also taught my horses how to lay down and sit on command. They can rear on command just as an interesting movements for the crowd that they like to see uh, besides the dressage movements. So my first actually exhibition in the U.S. was in uh, at Madison Square Garden. So coming from Europe, that was just mind-blowing. Um, and they put sand up on the Rockefeller Center for the Today Show, and we had to ride there. I mean, imagine coming from Europe. That's pretty wow. cool. So <laughs> that's that. so cool. That was just like really, really amazing. <laughs> uh, not ever been to the U.S. Um, so then we traveled a lot through the U.S. and tried to promote the Frisian horse, you know, also as a dressage horse and not being so stuck on the breed, but saying, hey, dressage means training. So, you know, these horses, yes, they weren't bred for dressage, but they have a lot of things to offer too. Well, um, I, have to, and, I have to jump in here and just uh, and tell you, Sabine, that, that you were um, kind of an inspiration for me as well, because in the early to the late 2000s, I can't remember what the years were, I, I got a Frisian stallion um, in my barn for okay. training and it was <laughs> it was great for me to be able to have somebody to look up to or to say you know I'm riding a Frisian and may, I was probably you know the the only Frisian at a dressage show but I was like other people do it too just not <laughs> around here you know or or you know I, right. I think I've seen video of, of you riding the stallions and you did such a beautiful job and that's who you were you were Thank who you. I was emulating to to be like. So this is, uh, personally, this is a really great interview for, for me to be involved with, you know? Yeah, no, no. And it was I just wonderful times. But I think also what I want to share, and even for younger upcoming writers, even when we did the demonstrations, we were even in Germany or here, I did tell my boss at the time, I said, look, we can't just do exhibitions because, you know, there might be, if you want to promote this breed, we also have to make sure they're to some degree competitive um, and, you know, make it also a little bit, show it from the serious side. So with that being said, I'm touching a little bit on that. It was always in me and our group of riders and kids in Germany. We always wanted to do it correct. It wasn't just the, the how do you say that the excitement of riding in front of a clapping crowd it wasn't about that it was really doing a good job but combining it 
you know, with the movements like the laying down and rearing and doing the dressage movements and doing side saddle and all these things. And just it. And why did we do that? Because this gentleman where the pony club was and the other part of the barn was a gentleman that wanted to promote Frisian horses and Spanish horses in Germany. And so promoting them was also showing them. I mean, we, we did exhibitions in Stuttgart in the break during the dressage shows and, uh, or Aachen, all the big shows. And, um, yeah, so that's what we did a little bit. And then in 2005, I moved to California and then I would say real uh, business maybe started in the sense <laughs> I wasn't working. I wasn't working for someone anymore, but I was, um, had my own business. So there was, you know, single horses coming in and I tried a little bit with the Frisians, but there's not always that liberty of picking like when I worked for this gentleman, he let me obviously pick and choose the horses. And as you know, again, they weren't necessarily bred to dressage, for dressage, especially back then. So it wasn't always the right horse. And then this is also something that's close to my heart. When I feel the horse has a hard time in it, but also really... How do I say that when I really feel they don't like doing it, then I'm not going to force a horse to do that. But I explained to the owner, every horse has its place. So we need to find what this horse is good for. And for some reason, I never really came across another good one that I mm -hmm. thought would be a good, good fit. And I started slipping slowly into warm bloods, which was great. And <laughs> slipping, <laughs> slipping into warm bloods. It's a funny. Yeah. A, <laughs> <laughs> um, and looking back now, I mean, what an amazing journey. I mean, to go from that to, to you know, traveling pretty much the world with doing demonstrations, but now touching into the competitive world to that extent is just mind-blowing for me i mean i'm just really have to pinch myself uh, yeah yeah so it's, then um sorry go ahead no no continue i was just gonna say when did you meet sensei so um actually sensei's owners alice womble heitman and dr mike heitman they are from texas from the Houston area, from Hempstead. They have Horse Gate Ranch there. And um, it was actually really touching because Alice always saw me do my demonstrations with the Frisians and the Andalusians. And she always took a moment and came to me and told me how beautiful it was. So there was always a connection. And when I moved to California, I mean, literally a week after she called me and she said, would you be interested in training one of my horses? Because she thought I was only, you know, working for, for Proud Meadows. So there was a, you know, little bit, I mean, I would have been open, but anyway, so I said, yes, let's, let's, let's do it. So I got Cacique from her, which was a little bit of a troublemaker when I first got <laughs> him. He was a stallion and he had a lot of, his own ideas and but he was also a great challenge for me and a great I'm looking for the word I, I learned so much from him and he learned from me so it was it was great and I was able to bring him up the levels and qualified him for Gladstone showed him in the CDIs and um, then Alice said to me one day she was so happy with what I've done with Kasik and she said, well, I wonder, my gosh, what you would do with a horse that you got from the beginning. And mm. she said, you know, let's, let's get a young one and let's see. So then she sent me to Germany, but she was going to come and her family were going to come too. But at that year there was a hurricane and they couldn't leave. So I went by myself. And I went a week and I couldn't find anything. And Sanseo was the last one, the last horse <laughs> on the list. 
and I really just fell in love with him. It was easy. He was just, what did I, I mean, people always ask me, what, what did you like when you bought him? Because he was just under three. We saw him in October. And um, wow. so he was just getting ready to be under saddle. And I saw him, he was only three times under saddle. So I did not want to get on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I Fair. saw him on the lunch line and he was just so rhythmic. Like I was just blown away going on that small circle, how powerful and how rhythmic he was going one step like another at that age. And then obviously his gates, um, Alice loves beautiful horses. So she kind of did whisper in my ear, try to make sure it's a pretty horse too. <laughs> so he, 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 he definitely fit the bill there, <laughs> which I first yeah. thought, oh my gosh, that's even harder, you know, to find talent and the looks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, and then I told her, hey, I think I did find see something that I really like, but I need to ride it. I don't want us to get into this not feeling it. And since I didn't come the first trip, we waited three weeks and we went back and I got on and he had exactly that feeling that I saw this like one step like another and I've talked about rhythm, but with the rhythm, it's also the balance, how balanced he was. And I think that still shows a lot, mm -hmm. like that same step and obviously the quality in the gates, um, but that that good natural balance that he that he had. Yeah, and that's how Sanseos and my story started. And mm -hmm. I can only say... You know, I'm starting now, too, with young horses, and I'm trying to always remind people in the horse world that, yes, of course, Grand Prix is amazing. And, you know, even to where I am with Sanseo right now, that's obviously really, really amazing for me, at least. But when you bring a horse along the levels, there's a lot of fun things, too. So if you... I really try to purchase or buy something also when there are three or four so I can do young horse classes. And even with Sanseo looking back, how amazing. Like he qualified as a five-year-old for Fairden for the World Breeding Championships for, mm -hmm. to represent the U.S. We decided not to go. He was a little immature and we didn't want to because we wanted to go to Grand Prix, we said, hey, let's not just look at this year, look in the future. And in order to be competitive, we would have to push a little bit and make him a little more flashy. And I mm -hmm. said, I don't want that. I want to stay honest to the training. And he wasn't mature enough to take him, to push him a little more for that. And then when he was sick, we had the same. So he qualified again for Fairden for the World Breeding Championships. And that's when we thought, hey, he's much more mature. And I remember just also wanting to do that trip to give him an experience of what it means to travel overseas, to cope with, you know, being showgrounds in Europe that are way more busy and more cramped in than some of ours. So that was really um, also a reason why we wanted to do that trip. So as a component to do for his development as a Grand Prix horse, to do one of those trips. Um, and then what did I do then? Then we did developing pre-St. George, which was really fun. And he won Chicago with a really high score. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we went the first time to Florida with him and did the mm -hmm. national regular pre-St. George. And then the year after that, I think was right away the Pan Am year where I started doing CDIs, small tour. And he um, was on the shortlist and the shortlist went to Europe. And then he ended up being on the team, which yeah. was, um, I mean, amazing. And then the whole experience in Toronto. We and saw you there, on, Phil and I. We saw you, saw you there. there. Yeah. We were there. We were in the stand screaming for you. 
Oh, <laughs> well, that was amazing. And, um, but that's what I was just trying to list real quick in yeah. the sense of how cool is that? I mean, so it cool. you know, and not, not every horse always makes it to Grand Prix and we shouldn't be upset by that. As I say, every, every, every horse has its place and there is enough things we can enjoy in the journey. And, um, so yeah, yeah, that's a little bit, I would say our story and since yeah, you fantastic. know, a 15 year yeah. old, it's so kind cool. of 15 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 12, right? Because we got yeah, 12 yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. Oh my so, gosh. So now the Olympics, I mean, you did Pan Ams and now looking for forward to the Olympics in a few months, what happens now? So we're kind of recording middle of April, um, so what happens now? What's the, what's the plan in the next few months getting ready for Tokyo? Yeah. So, I mean, we do have to obviously qualify and, and all of that. So in short, it's pretty much the end of April is the qualifying, the ending of the qualifying period. So we still have a couple of CDIs coming, I think, Tryon and Ocala, I believe where, you know, horses still can compete. And then we have on the West Coast this week coming uh, Rancho Morietta. It's also a CDI and a qualifier. But end of April, they will announce a short list. Usually the short list goes to Europe, but because of the herpes virus, um, that's too risky. And I think that's very smart to not do that. So instead, um, there will be an observation event in June in Wellington and where the shortlist is going to compete um, and they like a little bit having it in the climate that's probably close to Tokyo or the closest that we have in the country and then from that show on they will determine the team um, this year we have only three a three rider team where normally it's or it has been often enough four riders so three riders and one traveling reserve. Um, but the difference this time, I think it's the first time they're doing that format, mm-hmm. that they there is an option in Tokyo if for whatever reason, you know, maybe a horse doesn't deal well with the heat or something in that nature. I believe the alternate horse can be brought in for the special, which the Grand Prix special determines is for the team medal. So I think I hadn't heard that. That's interesting. I think the alternate rider this year has a little bit more, hopefully also fun because it's obviously a tough spot to be in because Mm, I think most of the time, you're there until the jog and after the jog, unfortunately you have to kind of go in your room and wait. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's okay. I mean, I, I, I just, yeah, I think it's probably going to be a little more exciting. So, but anyways, yeah, that's what it looks like. And what I'm just trying to do is, Sit tight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and make sure, make sure, you know, to look at it as, you know, best case scenario that I am going because if I am, I need to be ready and not, yeah. you know, not be ready. So, and that for me means my horse is quite seasoned, I feel. He has a, you know, kind of age and competition mileage of a more seasoned peaking horse so for me it's important that I don't override him and that I keep him happy and and especially not just happy I think happy and motivated and how do I do that well I you know I would love to ride every day because there's so many things I want to work on but really hold myself back and keep things how they are, improve what I, you know, little things I need to improve on and I need to touch up on and stay competitive, competition fit, both mentally and physically, and actually both him and I, because it's for me the same and we can't forget that. And for me personally, it's mentally and healthy. I mean, I do have to work out and stay fit and sharp 
and then try to do cross training and try to do, I mean, he goes out three, four times a day, like we, and he has his own aqua tread. So I also try to do, um, like today was aqua tread day. Um, so I'm not riding five days a week and he's getting, um, he's getting a little variety in his work. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Correct. Lots of hand grazing at right, right now. I will say I don't turn him loose out, which he has been all his life and I'm big on turnout, but, and I always thought when I read about other Grand Prix riders, I always thought, Oh, you know, they should turn out. <laughs> but being the first time in that place, it's, it's just scary. I mean, I can't help it. And I keep telling him, honey, you're going to, I mean, and he has been turned out seven days a week, but, um, I keep telling him he's going to have the most beautiful retirement too. <laughs> with Alex. <laughs> yes. But yes. you know, lots of hand grazing. I mean, he gets like, I mean, at least an hour hand grazing and, um, you know, I turn him loose in our round pen. So he definitely, can roll and you know jump around if he has to yeah so that's a little bit what i'm trying to do and um yeah stay on the game but don't overdo it and that's a fine sure. line and you know that yes. everybody has to ask that themselves there's no recipe and yes. no risk to it because how much is too much and you know how much is not enough that kind of i mean it's nerve-wracking for everybody but sure. You just got to stay. What I try to do when you're questioning that, I just try to ask myself, well, what got you here? You know, yeah. that gut feeling. I mean, I trained him here. What did you do before? You also didn't ride five days a week, you know, and uh, you did variety before too. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can just, imagine that's really, it's a, it's a hard time period it's a few weeks but it's like oh goodness it's it's hard and yeah coming off of wellington where there's a lot of pressure and a lot of heat and uh it's mm -hmm. it, i can imagine it's it's a it's a hard time for sure and i think it's 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 quite interesting to ride at that level because it comes down to this this kind of management i mean your horse knows everything yes there's always things to improve absolutely but I think the biggest question I have now asking myself always, well, how many days before the show? How do I lead up to it? What do I do in between the show days? You know, if like the last show, it was so spread out. We had Tuesday, the Grand Prix and Saturday, the special. So what do you do in between? And it's, you know, lots of hours in the stall more than at home because I don't have the option you know, hand grazing. Yeah. There's nowhere to hand graze during there. The really. There is yeah. no, yeah, exactly. And so I think that's a whole new chapter of where you have to have confidence and, um, yeah, and, and play around and learn by mistakes, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. sure. I mean, you just learn it by doing it, you know? And, and I shouldn't maybe have said by mistakes, learning by doing it. Because, you know, like my little strategy also was I showed November the last time and then I was showing the five star. So the five star was a big show for me. So the week prior, I took him Saturday into a national class just to see what I have. So those little strategy um, plans and yes. looking back, I mean, talking about making good decisions, I was like, wow, that was a really good decision you made. And I can tell you hundreds of bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an animal. You know, he's a stallion, so I have to watch a little bit also here in Wellington. I'm sure it's a little bit also with the heat. He was perfect gentleman in Thurman in November. It was quite cold. He was hot. I mean, really like <laughs> Stalinist, he was ready to go. And I had He's, to yeah. yeah, I had to deal a little bit with that too. And you have to remember that. And that and that's what I mean with the management. You just have to think a lot. I also write a lot of things down so I can look back. Okay, mm. if I showed in a colder climate, I look back how many days, what did I do? 
And then in a more warmer climate, or if I have a couple shows close to each other, what did I do in the middle? I mean, just to that's a great tip. Enrich, yeah. yeah, just to you know, you know, in the end, in your head, what you want to do. But still, it's always interesting to just read a little bit back, and there's always a little thing I may forget. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah, no. Oh, I love it. Well, Sabine, we could keep you on air f- all night. Your story is so amazing. Yeah. And hearing what you have done with Senseo and just the whole journey is, is didn't happen overnight. And it's so fun to hear it. And um, so, but how can we find you online? Tell us about your sponsors. We'd love to hear all that. Okay. First of all, I really like, my gosh, I, there is never enough Thank yous and gratitude to Sanseo's owners to that I can even share this journey with them and their horse. And um, so that's, you know, Horsegate Ranch in Texas, in Hempstead, and that is Alice Womble and Dr. Mike Heidman. And um, my uh, online, so my website is Sabine Shoot Carry. I mean, www.sabineshootcarry.com. And I have an amazing village behind me of companies, but also friends and products I strongly believe in that support me with Sanseo and our journey. And I would love to um, tell you about them. Um, so it's Platinum Performance, a really, really high-end supplement company out of California. I have um, Oracle Equestrian, super, super quality riding gloves out of Germany. Um, Cast Sport for my helmet. Um, The Horse and Rider Boutique that has always beautiful clothing. And I I have a very dear saddle supporter the n2 saddlery which i love that saddle um dressage sport boots mdc stirrups u.s animal um anique shirts see you at x tax store and i love Nupa feet um the nero boots equine original product dara james design for the beautiful stock tag uh, stock tights and um, Lux Heavenly Bodies for really important sunscreen for us riders riding always outside. So I really, really thank all these amazing sponsors. Absolutely. Well, Sabine, thank you so much for coming on. We are going to be cheering you on on your journey to Tokyo and fingers crossed. And thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you. This episode is also sponsored by Arena Saddles. With the classic elegance and unbeatable quality, it's clear why Arena Saddles are the premier choice for the discerning dressage rider. The comfort and style of a beautifully crafted Arena Dressage Saddle will help you and your horse move together in perfect harmony while you're competing or training for the dressage ring. You'll enjoy unmatched close contact that will enable you and your horse to perform in rhythmic unison and catch any judge's eye. When you experience the ultra-soft seats and knee inserts, a perfectly balanced seat, customizable rider support, and extra protective cushioning, you'll see why arena saddles are known for their beauty, comfort, and practicality. Priced at just $15.99, the Arena Dressage Saddle is the perfect saddle for you. Visit arenasaddles.com to view the full range of saddles available and to find a retailer near you. That's arenasaddles.com. Well, tonight is truly an honor. And in the Olympic Games for Phil and I, we have the U.S. silver medal winning team, Stefan Peters, Adrian Lyle, and Sabine Shute-Carey. We are so happy to welcome you all. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having having us. Thank you. Well, I mean, we have been watching you guys and all cheering you on. And so, Stefan, what was this Olympics like? You were the veteran on the team. And and wow, just the whole experience. Can you kind of tell us how this Olympics was different for you? Well, you know, I'll try to tell the story without getting emotional. I haven't been able to do that anytime I told the story. So tonight, today might not be any different. But, uh, you know, we, we all had a 
could go in the Grand Prix, but as we all knew, the Grand Prix special was the team deciding day. And uh, Adrian went in with a super test with a 76%, and um, Mopsy went in with a 77 And at that time, we knew we had to be um, about 2.5% ahead of uh, Denmark. And in order to get the silver medal, uh, we needed to squeeze it another 1.3% further. And when Sabine went in, um, I was sitting behind Adrian in the grandstands. I was holding on to her shoulder. And with um, every single step, that, that bronze medal came closer. And we were just, even the bronze medal would have been just so incredibly exciting. And then with every single step that, that bronze medal was reality. And at that time, I had to go to the bathroom so bad. Um, <laughs> I didn't even, you know, I, I had to go. I couldn't watch uh, Charlotte Dujardin go because now I knew um, if Sabine's score was 1.5% ahead of Charlotte's score, we had the silver medal. I went to the bathroom, came back, and I found myself within a, a 20 um Japanese volunteers. I saw the end of her test. I saw the score and I started crying like a little kid. And mm -hmm. the all the volunteers started coming up to me and I said, sir, are you okay? And I said, <laughs> look, you guys, I've, I've never, ever been better in my life. And it was just one of those crazy moments. Um, and I went then to confirm over to the, um, to the warm-up area, said, said, Haley, did this really happen? Do we have the silver? And she said, yes. And it was just one of those amazing moments, but one of the best moments in my life, just incredible. And I'm so thankful for my amazing teammates and their horses. The whole experience was just absolutely incredible. So Adrian, I was going to ask you about, you know, we've talked a lot about like on our show and with Sabine and, and with the Paralympians, the challenges of this Olympics with doing the extra quarantine and then the flights to Tokyo. Can you just tell us a little bit about all, all what that experience was like and how challenging it was? Because sometimes people don't appreciate, you know, what the riders and horses go through to just even get to the venue. Yeah, absolutely. This was definitely for me, the most challenging logistics of um, any games or world championships that we've been to starting with a week long pre-export quarantine for the horses, uh, which was in Aachen, Germany. So for us, that means already you're getting on a plane, you know, flying over there. We actually got there a little bit earlier than the one week so that the horses would have 10 days to rest um, and fully recover and then also train, of course, because you're getting ready for the Olympics. So we were there and then, then it's the long trip from there to Tokyo, which was a very long horse flight. They had to stop and refuel in Dubai. We were able to have one groom, Morgan Klingen-Smith, who flew with the horses. And so she took, you know, detailed instructions from every single groom and rider about everything that needed to be done with her horse every step of the way. Huge responsibility. She did a, a wonderful job. And then even the flying of the people, our federation and Hallie are so amazing at their thinking ahead, you know. So they flew the first set of people two days before the horses. And then uh, the grooms, most of the other grooms went one day before the horses so they could be sure they got through the airport, which is in itself a process. It was about three hours minimum for most people to get through the airport, through all the COVID testing and all the paperwork and that stuff. So they flew the grooms the day before so that they could be sure they were there when the horses arrived. And then the horses left, the riders stayed to load up their horses in Germany. Then we went to the airport and then we met up with the horses um, at the venue. So. For sure, a lot of moving parts, and it was uh, really beautifully orchestrated that they were able to pull that off as amazingly as they were. That's that's truly amazing. I think you know, watching and 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 you know, this this Olympics, we had some social media, we could see what you guys were doing, but I don't think people can fully appreciate all of the logistics that had to happen. I mean, it was it was incredible. Sabine, tell us, like, this was your first Olympic Games. Obviously, there was even more challenges this year with COVID. Could you talk about what you guys, once you got to Tokyo, what were some things that happened and, and how did you stay focused in your first Olympic Games to truly have the amazing rides that you did? Well, I mean, for me, it was um, obviously great to have 
Adrian and Stefan there who, you know, were super supportive and kind. And um, I felt like, you know, I felt like home and I felt being part of it and, you know, equal and all these things, you know, sometimes maybe you get a little threatened or think you're not good enough. Um, and yeah, so that gave a huge comfort um, because I've been asked that question a lot. And for me, I haven't even thought about it because it is so natural because I always felt, I mean, I know both from uh, previous um, events, etc. And yeah, it was very natural. So, but then when you think about it, yeah, because they have that quality, it was very easy. I felt really home and just could focus on my writing. In terms of happening, I mean, for me, it was um, on day, I think two days before it all ended, I was thinking, like, really? Uh, can we not <laughs> stay longer? And do a <laughs> I, mean, I really, really, really had a great time. And one of the things I did before I left, I had texted a couple of friends and colleagues that had been to Olympics and just thought it would be a cute, interesting and neat thing. I just asked them, hey, what's your advice for a first timer? <laughs> what am I looking at? Or what, what would you, you know, what do you, what, what, what advice would you give me? And between all of them, it's, it was very clear to make sure you also enjoy this because of course there's pressure and you want to do well for yourself, but you also, I mean, now you're riding on this stage and you're riding for your country, which is an incredible honor. So it's a complete different ride and experience. So I really took that to heart and just the experience. Also, I've been asked afterwards a lot, like, and I watched my test the first time last week on a big screen and I can understand why this question came up. They asked me, so why did you look so, um, it's not sad, but serious after your Grand Prix. And I said, you know, guys, that was a job. I did not know what score I'm getting. So if maybe I wrote for myself, I would have jumped up and down because it felt really special, but I'm here to do a job, so I need to first know and have clarification from everyone that it was good. <laughs> so I just didn't let go. Um, but that's like part of when you say, what was that experience? I mean, that was the difference. I said, if I write by myself, I probably would have been much more loose. So just that responsibility, I really felt. And being... Yeah, enjoying it, but also being very serious. I just thought always, okay, don't go off course and all these. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all relate to that, yeah, I guess. We can yeah. all relate. Never been in that position, but just I can really relate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of performances, Stefan, we, we know now that you are super famous, TikTok meme, all of that. <laughs> so maybe I can ask you a little bit about, I mean, you wrote to a pretty modern freestyle choreo music um how did that all come about you know um we we saw the the producer come on and 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 talk, you know he gave a little speech about you know how he made the music so how did that all how did that come about well you know first of all you you mentioned that that i was famous the, the good thing is my horse is famous my my name was it was not mentioned so horse, much, right? Mopsy, 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 Ray horse. yeah the rave horse and and Mopsy's name became famous which you know i think is is fantastic that that my name wasn't even mentioned that much i i prefer it that way um but it it all came about when i tried a bunch of different pieces of music and uh, Akiko called me one day and said, Stefan, you know, you, you got to make up your mind and see what's working because it's, it's a, it's a huge mishmash of, of songs. And I said, yeah, I, I know. And, uh, I finally narrowed it down to, um, Hathaway, what is love and the Calabria song. So those two made the final cut and, um, it, it worked out great. But the interesting part is, uh, we did the sound check. Uh, the day before the freestyle, or maybe it was even, yeah, it was probably the morning of the freestyle. And I listened to the beginning of the music, uh, the sound, the volume sounded good. And then I listened to the music again on the way to the venue, which was pretty close to me getting ready for the uh, for my performance. And I listened to it again, and I said, 
Haley, I gave you the wrong free stop. So this was <gasps> half an hour before my ride. And this was the old freestyle that I actually did the sound check with. I only listened to it for a few seconds and I should have listened to the whole thing. So Haley actually called um, Terry Gallo, who does the free, who did the freestyle for me. She woke her up at four o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. And then she emailed the correct freestyle. And while I was warming up, Haley actually was able to get the freestyle to the tower. Of course, the uh, sound engineer wasn't very happy with me at that time, but he he did play the right music. So that was kind of a last second deal. And, uh, you know, the way it, I picked that music um, on parties before, um, I used to DJ here and there a little bit. And, uh, you know, anytime you needed to get a crowd going, it was those two songs, uh, those two, those two songs. And, um, we decided to put those in the freestyle and I still need to do a little bit more polishing on it, but, um, obviously that caused, uh, the, the interest, um, from, uh, also from Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg on Kevin Hart's show. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the producer called me up, producer Sarah, and I said, Hey, Stefan, guess what? This, uh, producer of the Kevin Hart show. And I said, yeah, sure. They said, no, 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 this is true. <laughs> you know, this is really happening. And can you uh, bring Mopsy up to, to the show, to the Kevin Hart show? And I said, well, you know, Mopsy is still in quarantine. Um, <laughs> that won't be possible right now, but we could bring another horse up. And I mentioned that it might be probably a good idea to check with their insurance to have a, to have a horse on stage. And then they called me back and said, yeah, you're right. Our insurance said um, that that's not going to happen. But um, the producer, the, the producer said Kevin and, and Snoop Dogg um, are, are willing to come down to our place and do a little clip right there. And, you know, Kevin Hart, not being the tallest man in the world sitting on an 80, 18, two hand horse. It could, it could be interesting, but I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. So we'll see if that happens. <laughs> oh, okay, fantastic. that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a big fan of the modern freestyle music. I think it's, you know, the way the sport is going and, and how we have to innovate. And, and uh, I commend you yeah. for, for, you know, getting some dance music in there. Because, we, you know, when, when we're watching a horse, we all want to be moving along, you know, moving along with the horse and, and having fun. And, and that's amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, either either way, you know, if it's moving, I think there's so many wonderful freestyle that are a bit more emotionally and move you that way. But, you know, if it could also uh, include a little bit of a sense of humor and a party atmosphere, it can be moving as well. So um, I think there's there's room for both uh, for both kind of freestyles. That that is fantastic, and Adrian, kind of on the same line. I'm not gonna lie. I seeing you on the Today Show. Uh, my niece was with me. We all were there watching. I mean, what was that like? I mean, that that's my part of my morning routine. So I love that. Yeah, that was such a cool experience. That was uh, our media people at USEF are like so on top of all of this. They were able to get that like arranged for us. We had no idea this was going to happen until I think the morning of or possibly the night before. And it was such a cool treat. And just being able to go and see their production, they've set up, like taken over a hotel essentially. And like each hotel room, you know, you walk down the hallway and there's one sign that says, you know, access Hollywood and one sign today show, like all these different things. And you're just like, wow, this is crazy to see the whole production that goes into that. And of course, then getting to be on set was it was just so fun. It was such like a little icing on the cake because we were already so happy and we were celebrating. And then we got to have this amazing experience. And you walk out on the roof for the set of the Today Show and you're overlooking like this beautiful bay in Tokyo and the Olympic rings are lit up. And it was it was all rather surreal, actually. <laughs> it's really neat. <laughs> So Sabine, we, we talked about, you know, the, the Grand Prix and probably Grand Prix special, a lot of team pressure, but then, you, then you get to the freestyle, you know, like you've done a lot of exhibitions and performances. We talked to you uh, before about that on our show. So how much did that uh, performance aspect help you to put on just an amazing freestyle and, and you were fifth overall by the end of it? I mean, um, did that feel more like a performance to you? 
Well, honestly, again, I don't know. Somebody really hammered that into my head that I was there to write that special and the Grand Prix. So I did not expect to be in the freestyle. So I never did a new one. I wrote an old one from 2018, Nations Cup, that had a little easier floor plan. And the last time I've written it was at the Nations Cup. So looking back, yeah, I wish I would have thought that I could end up in it and be better prepared. But it's not like that it's a bad freestyle, I'm just saying. So to answer your question, I think it came in good that I've done performances because last minute, without practicing, I put two different elements in it, uh, two PF purettes to kind of gain a little bit on degree of difficulty. And then again, not having ridden through it since 2018, I think I, I mean, I certainly was nervous. I'm not saying that, but I think it helped a little bit to have those performances and trust it a little bit and try to kind of measure out from experience, oh, this could work. Um, so, yeah, it was super fun and it, it worked out really well. And um, yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Oh, it was great. It was great to watch all of you all. It was truly great. And so Stefan, kind of my final question for, for all of you, um, Stefan, maybe you could start is just uh, the competition and the level of riding was truly amazing to watch. Can you talk a little bit about kind of your overall feelings with that? Yeah. You know, the neat thing is I think we, all of us used to look a little bit more, especially me, in uh, previous years, you know, we used to look a little more at the at the European standards. All I had to do is look at the standards of our trials mm-hmm. and look what what Sabine and and Adrian, um, how Sabine and Adrian rode their horses at the trials. That was incredible. And you know, honestly, I told myself, look, there's there's no need to um, to go crazy and and try to be better, which I don't think I could be but just to be i was so inspired to be um as as good as both of them and you know i think that that team effort and that team bonding you know the the environment that our federation uh, created for us you know it was it was honestly another honor to dream, to to ride on another dream team and i'm so grateful uh, for that there hasn't been a single day where I haven't looked at the at the pictures. I texted Adrian yesterday, who made just a fantastic video and captured all the horses so beautifully. And honestly, there hasn't been a single day where I haven't looked back and um, just thought about the whole experience with so much gratitude. It was it's just simply incredible. So a uh, huge thank you to my teammates who inspired me like uh, like nothing else. It was fantastic. Wow. Adrian, how did you feel? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with Stefan so much. Our team was just amazing and it is inspiring to be around such great riding and training. And, you know, one of the things we're really proud of was that it, in the special deciding that team medal, we did not have a single mistake out of all three of our tests. And, you know, I'm not sure there was another team that had every single rider go clean. And so it's really cool to know that we earned that silver medal by, you know, by really being correct and really being exactly, you know, pulling every point out that we wanted in our riding and the riding, uh, to get back to your original question, uh, the competition was just fabulous. I, I thought the riding was so good, especially those top rides were just so inspiring. And it was really fun to see the harmony, the correctness in these rides and to see it being rewarded. And it was just an amazing competition for sure. It was, it was truly amazing to watch Sabine, you know, your first Olympics, how did you feel with that, with, with the competition and, and watching? Cause it was inspiring for all of us. Yeah, it was, it was clearly amazing. And a couple of things I remember, I mean, often already, I mean, I was so happy we had that quarantine, maybe some others don't, but that was already like such a treat yeah. to be able without, um, you know, being on the competition time frame that you had time to watch and observe and watch each other. And um, I had my 
my previous trainer come visit and she Santiago I spent had spent two year, uh, two months with him um, on a training grant so he knows us and just to hear also one of the things in the conversation he said you know the Americans are really known for accurate beautiful riding and um, beautiful everybody has beautiful positions so that was kind of cool I think I had shared that with uh, a lot of people it was really cool to hear that what um, what what image we put out there and not just us three but he meant really that's already an establishing established saying for the Americans so I feel like really this whole program being picked up with all the different, um, um, you know, young horse program developing and high performance program. I mean, this whole pipeline of how we get to bring the best out of the horses and athletes is really shining through. It always takes a while, you know, you have that idea and you implement it, but I think the fruit, how do you say in English, the fruits are coming now from it. Um, and then, yeah, in in Tokyo, you know, depending on your ride time, for me, I I don't know why, but I watched Catherine before, and it in the Grand Prix um, because it worked out with my time with my rides and everything, and it was so beautiful. And it really her correctness. I mean, it really also inspired me just as a ride before just get that in my head to just don't rush through it and just take your time and really pay attention to good communication with your horse and not be distracted and all of that. And when I said earlier in for my teammates, I actually was thinking I didn't mean that I felt that I could have felt threatened, but rather not intimidated. They did not intimidate me, but like both said too, it's more inspiring. So Anyways, that's just a little correction. But um, then in the special, I watched Carl Hester's ride. And that was just the same. It was like, my God. I mean, I always, he's one of my favorite riders. It, just the time he takes, the correctness. And you don't see that much. But when you know enough, you do see. But it's so subtle. And also how he deals with a horse that can be a little bit spooky from what he has said. It was just so beautiful once he went in the ring, how the horse was just with him. So that that's just also incredible. And you it just being for three, four weeks around that caliber of riding is just like a little kid in a candy store. I mean, I, I, I as I say, I didn't want to go home. I just want to be around <laughs> that because it lifts you up. It inspires you. And again, I use the word threatened, but it's wrong. It's, you know, you're not intimidated and yeah, inspired. So it's, yeah, I wish I could do that like every six months, maybe for three, four weeks. <laughs> Please. <laughs> oh, well, I, I can't thank you all for your inspiration to all of us because we were all watching and it was truly amazing to watch your insp inspiration to me and Philip and, and all our listeners as well. And truly, this was an honor to have you all on. Thank you for coming and to interview. We've not interviewed a silver medal U.S. team ever. Uh, <laughs> and uh, truly, thank you all for the inspiration. And, uh, and Stefan, continue with the internet memes. We love it and, and bringing dressage to, to the forefront. Uh, thank you all and congratulations on the silver medal. Unbelievable. It's thank been an you honor. So thank you very much for having, much for having us. <laughs> thank you so much. This tip was brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, the shoulder relief girth that Reese and Philip both love. And here's why. The saddle fit solution you have been waiting for is finally here. TotalSaddleFit.com is proud to introduce the shoulder relief girth. This strategically shaped girth actually moves the girth line of your saddle back over one inch, thereby freeing your horse's shoulders from the saddle. Traditional girths pull saddles up against a horse's shoulders and often over the top of the shoulders. The shoulder relief girth's recessed ends allow for the billets to buckle into the girth farther back to give your horse unparalleled freedom of motion. We are so certain that your saddle will fit better and your horse will be more comfortable that for a limited time we are offering a 30-day, 110% money-back guarantee. 
If you are not totally satisfied with your shoulder relief girth, send it back for a full refund plus 10% of the purchase price. Don't wait. Order now for the best saddle fit solution available. At totalsaddlefit.com. Visit totalsaddlefit.com. 